My general rule of thumb is whenever I feel really, really good and think I'm really, really smart, I sell stock and I buy real estate. I said, what do you think a million dollars in the hands of a mining stock promoter is worth? It is worth zero. Yeah, it's, I think PEA should, they should almost change the designation to FEA, fantasy economic assessment. Like this one PEA I've seen, my God, it is completely and totally ridiculous. And although I really do have a very difficult time yelling at Australian management just due to the time change, it's really tough to get them on the phone. And you definitely can't go over and punch them in the head as easy as you can a Canadian guy who's in Toronto just down the road, right? Here at uh, Beaver Creek, I quite like Beaver Creek. And uh, you, you catch the buzz of all the latest guys doing some of the latest work. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has an excellent shareholder base with Ross Beattie owning 20%, Insiders 5%, and Resource Capital Funds 8%. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-I-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. This is Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, and I'm sitting outside uh, with the waterfall in the background and the wind blowing with the mining book guy and Warren Irwin top performing fund manager, president and chief investment officer of Rosso Asset Management. If you're new to mining stock investing, make sure you go back to March 2018 to listen to my first interview with Warren regarding discerning mining stock scams as Warren has a lot of experience and firsthand testimony with that uh, regarding the BRIAC scam, one of the most famous scams in uh, recent mining sector history. With that being said, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Nick, I'm going to pass it over to you. What questions do you have for uh, Warren to kick off the podcast? Yeah, so Warren, I, I noticed um, you had an interesting tweet on Cantex, uh, you know, neat picture, seemed pretty excited about it. And I was wondering if you wanted to add, you know, some color to that, you know, what, what makes Cantex special? It's, uh, it seems maybe it's like the size potential. Yeah, well, uh, the first thing is when you take a look at Cantex, you have to look at who's behind it. And the guy behind it is Chuck Fipke, who owns a significant portion, just under half of the company. Uh, he was the guy responsible for the Acadi uh, discovery, uh, all, the, all the pipes at uh, the Acadi mine, and hence uh, really the, the founding of the Canadian diamond industry, which basically built uh, a lot of the infrastructure in the Northwest Territories and gave you know, Yellowknife a, a real new pulse. Uh, so he's a pretty significant player. He made millions and millions of dollars for investors back in uh, the diamond days when he made that discovery. I was really new to the business when, when he did that, but I do remember it. So I've watched Chuck ever since then. And um, he's a very, very serious player. Uh, I have backed Chuck in the past. I've lost money backing him in the past. So um, uh, for me to revisit Chuck after having lost a few million bucks backing uh, some exploration earlier, but between uh, the time of his caddy discovery and today, it says a lot. Now, what I like about Cantex is uh, I love the scale of it. We're basically talking about um, a multi-kilometer long uh, a Gaussian with, the, uh, with metal showing on surface. And when they start drilling below it, uh, up near surface, it's, uh, 
um, uh, up, up near surface, it's, it's oxidized a little bit, but um, as you get deeper, it starts getting into 20% uh, combined uh, zinc lead for, and there's quite a bit of silver there too. And you're getting metal value of around 500 bucks a ton, which in, you know, you take a look at gold terms, that's like a third of an ounce gold. And they're getting, seem to be getting it around on a, about a 10 meter wide, um, uh, 10 meter wide section. So what's interesting about it is when you have these multi-kilometer long things and you start, you start uh, multi-kilometer long structures, 10 meters wide with $500 rock, if this thing holds together with drilling, um, the, the, you work out the math and it's extraordinary, especially, you know, use, use uh, you know, uh, the people on the podcast if you want, just, just work out with a 3.8 specific gravity. You can work out how many tons you have. And if you multiply the number of tons by $500 rock, you have a lot of really, really um, uh, expensive ore down there. And uh, that's what makes it so exciting is that this could be a massive, massive discovery. So I'm watching it very, very closely. I, I bought some shares uh, for my fund at a, at a dollar with a, I got a, got a dollar fifty warrant, half warrant. And today um, the stock's in the four to five dollar range. But you know, this could go way, way higher if, um, if it turns out to be continuous. And um, so we'll see that, but, but it definitely has all the hallmarks that I like to look for. Continuity, uh, grade, um, really good pedigree of the people involved. It's in a good jurisdiction, it's in the Yukon. So there's a number of things I really like about it. So that's why I'm watching it very, very closely. And, you know, maybe as a follow-on question, uh, you know, different company, uh, kind of an update on uh, Soul Gold and Cornerstone, which you've talked about in previous interviews. Uh, you know, where do you stand there there now? Yeah, well, you know, uh, this, the Soul Gold's discovery, uh, which was, um, uh, they basically farmed into the situation that was uh, from a project generator called Cornerstone. And then they went on to, to grow the initial prelim very preliminary discovery into uh, you know a four billion ton uh, ore body, which is just extraordinary. It's definitely considered today as to be one of the probably the top five undeveloped copper deposits in the world. And, and as a proof of that, we've had uh, uh, Sol Gold has had an, uh, both BHP and Newcrest step up and make investments in it. BHP being the largest mining company in the world. Also, the um, the CEO of BHP has said in a in a press release. Uh, that they're very optimistic on their, their investment in Sol Gold. And at the time, my recollection, it was around 30 plus million dollar investment. So can you imagine the CEO of the largest mining company in the world commenting on a tiny little $35 million investment in a press release? And uh, so that was, it gives you a sense as to how important this discovery seems to be in the, in the world. It's a shame right now that copper's a little on the weak side, but it, it is uh, truly an extraordinary uh, discovery, and the guys at Sol Gold uh, and, and Cornerstone, but mostly Sol Gold, that uh, des deserve a tremendous amount of credit for, for taking something uh, initially that showed some promise and, and really growing it to a world-class deposit. Uh, you have a very public position in NextGen. What are your thoughts on NextGen right now? Yeah, NextGen's in a <clears throat> very interesting time right now. Uh, I bought in the NextGen prior to their big discovery around 60 cents. The stock went to, I think the higher was around 450 with the discovery. The stock drooped down to as low as around $1.50 not that long ago. So when you think about it, I bought in at 60 before the really the discovery really hit. And then it went to $1.60 uh, here recently. 
after all that all that drilling and all that discovery and all the all the studies so it really shows what's happening here in uh, in the case of next gen and and during that period of time too the price of uranium really hadn't fluctuated it's about 25 bucks at both times so <clears throat> it's next gen seems to be entering into a really unique phase and an example i could give you of that phase was i remember aber, aber diamonds uh, it had a big run when the big discovery happened. It was uh, just south of uh, south of Acadi, and it ran up. I forget how high it went, but it went quite high. And then as it started to move into development, and you know when people started doing the uh, the, the resource work, the environmental work, this everybody got bored. They blew the stock out. The stock I remember and remember this is 20 years ago. It was hovering around the seven, eight, nine dollar level, and I watched uh, really smart guys in the market just hoovering up stock and I was again you know it was 20 some years ago so I'd only been in the business a little over 10 years and I, I thought it was interesting how they were just the smart guys were, were buying and the dumb guys were selling or the impatient guys were selling and sure enough by the time Aber got into production and started cranking out some cash flow stock was $42 so these guys were stepping up buying stock 789 bucks and a year or so later uh, 42 bucks in the case of next gen I could see the exact same thing happening where the impatient money is moving on to whether it be marijuana stocks or Bitcoin or or jumping on the, the recent gold bandwagon, um, and the smart long-term money. And again, there's there's not a lot of long-term money out there, but the but the guys are just hoovering up stock here at a buck sixty, buck seventy, buck eighty, and in five, six, seven years or whenever in the future. When this thing starts getting closer to some of their big, big cash flow numbers, um, it's going to be trading many, many multiples of where it is. But in the mining sector, you know, <clears throat> what's interesting about NextGen is it's not unlike Aber, is that the downside risk from here is very, very little. Yet the upside over multi-years, if you have a multi-year horizon, is pretty extraordinary. It's one of the, the, the biggest and richest uranium discoveries in the world, in one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Top quality uh, management team, lots of government support, community support. Like they have got nailed, they checked a lot of the boxes. This is going to be an extraordinary situation, but it's interesting how short term, um, short term outlook on, on some of the players has really created a value opportunity here for the people with uh, a nice long term horizon. So if next gen's valuation is so su suppressed, when investors look at the uranium explorers, should we expect an explorer with some good results to even get any love from the market? You know, maybe, um, but you're exactly a very, very good question. Sometimes when I see, uh, like for, for example, right now, uh, Sol Gold is super duper cheap, and so is Cornerstone, and they've just made one of the world's best discoveries also. Like Next Gen is definitely one of the world's best uranium discovery. Uh, Sol Gold is one of the world's best copper discoveries and they're all getting killed. And so um, it's a very interesting question. Why would somebody go invest in a new copper discovery or a new uranium discovery when, um, um, when we're seeing, when you do find them, you don't get paid for them. Now, the only thing I could think of is somebody who's, if, you're, if you are investing in, let's say, an ISO or, or other a copper explorer or any other explorer, uh, it shows you you have to be reasonably nimble if you're gonna get in it you may want to just get out of it when the hype is at the max and then try and revisit it at a later date. But there are risks to that too, because what happens sometimes is with these world-class discoveries, 
out of the blue, you'll get a big takeover bid from one of the major mining companies. So you, you just, you never know. It's a bit of a risky strategy, but would I invest in, uh, in copper or uranium juniors right now when I could see Sol Gold and Cornerstone and next-gen chain trading as cheaply as they are? You know, you kind of think it may not be worth it on a risk-reward basis given how cheap their, their trading is. Kind of going on a global theme, how much does um, exchange listing matter to you, whether it's, you know, Canadian, um, Australia, or, or the UK kind of as, as the three big ones? Yeah, I, I don't really care what exchanges are listed on, although I really do have a very difficult time yelling at Australian management just due to the time change. It's really tough to get them on the phone, and you definitely can't go over and punch them in the head as easy as you can a Canadian guy who's in Toronto just down the road, right? So uh, I try not to invest in, uh, in Australia or even the UK is quite a bit closer and uh, for five hours, but generally the UK mining companies, I find that they... They, they're active in Africa, in Canada. They're active generally in North America and South America. Those are gross generalizations. But I generally, it's not necessarily the exchange. I just like being close to management and being able to ask them questions, pick up the phone, talk to them, uh, go, go on site visits. To go on a site visit to Australia takes, you know, you're, you're, you've blown at least a week and tens of thousands of dollars. So I'd much rather jump on a short term, short flight to um, somewhere in the in the Americas, or in some ways even Africa is reason, reasonably easy too. You know, with emerging jurisdictions and a previous uh, interview with Bill, you, you had some some interesting comments, and I'm just wondering, maybe in the last year, has, can you give at least one example of maybe a jurisdiction that's on more of a positive path, at least one that's on more of a negative path, and if, if they've affected maybe any of your investments or what you're looking at. Yeah, well, Argentina is a good example of a negative one. Just, you know, I, I may have touched on Argentina before. They've they've done some really bad things to, to mining companies I've had investments in. For instance, uh, when we found an open pit mine in one area, one state of Argentina, what do you know? The governor puts an open pit mining ban on it. When we find a gold mine in another state, then and it's an open pit, we're going to use cyanide to heat bleach it. Then there was a cyanide ban in that state. <clears throat> That's Argentina. Then Argentina, you know, it gets religion. It realizes that maybe it should have some industry to employ its people and feed its people. And then they get the religion. And now they've got currency control. So, you know, I just, my life's too short. I haven't got much time on the planet left. So I'd just rather just not deal with Argentina. That's, you know, so that's one example. Uh, one on the upswing. Uh, yeah, well, if you're doing South American companies, they're on the upswing. Uh, Ecuador is on the upswing. But, you know, deep down, you know, it's South America. They're on the upswing until they're on the downswing. So, you know, Ecuador is the flavor of the day today. Ecuador has tremendous geology. It could be a tremendous mining success, just like Chile. And, um, but... Chile and Peru, they're, they're neighbors to the south, but um, we'll see how they handle it because they, they don't have a long, rich mining history like Peru and Chile does, and I, I, hope, uh, I hope they embrace it because um, there's a tremendous amount of benefit for the country and for the people uh, by, by embracing mining, and you know, any company operating there will be operating to the highest standards and environmental uh, uh, environmental regulations and uh, the mining companies have come a long way with how they treat the environment, the people, the local community uh, with respect to 
you know, I, I've been down to see Solgold's operations. They've done a great job with, with community support, supporting the community, hiring local people, getting the community engaged and, and understanding what's going on. So the people making many of these decisions are indeed local people who have to live in the community. So everybody's, there, there's not going to be any big dumping of toxic water into the stream that everybody, you know, like that's, that may have happened, you know, decades ago in mining, but with the local people involved in the mining process, everybody, everybody's in it together and everybody wants what's right for the country, the people, local people and the environment. Trilogy Metals is a world-class developer in Alaska's Ambler Mining District. The company already possesses 8 billion pounds of high-grade copper, 3 billion pounds of zinc, over 1 million gold equivalent ounces, and over 77 million pounds of cobalt. Trilogy's Arctic project boasts an after-tax net present value of $1.4 billion with a 33% internal rate of return. Trilogy is led by an experienced management team with proven success in discovering and developing projects in Alaska. The company is well-capitalized has no debt, and possesses strong institutional support. Trilogy trades in New York and Toronto under the ticker TMQ. To learn more, go to TrilogyMetals.com. That's TrilogyMetals.com. Eastern Europe, do you have an eye on Eastern Europe? I know I met with some Eastern Europe companies uh, here over the last two days. Yeah, sadly, sadly, um, I was just in an Eastern European country for a week uh, riding my off-road motorcycle. Uh, and spending a fair amount of time with the locals and talking about corruption. And uh, the problem is the level of corruption in Eastern Europe uh, is very, very high. And unless you have the time and energy to deal with corruption and making sure that your partners are not corrupt, make sure that you're not going to get impacted by corrupt government officials, they're going to take your project that you've just spent $20 million moving forward and giving it to their friends or adding levies or taxes or or just outright confiscation remember a lot of these countries in eastern europe were former communists so they have a, a different mindset when it comes to what the people own and what private enterprise could own um you know you look at let's say romania with rosa montana you know you've just got the ngos in there and everything else and like I know people who worked on that project and they're good, decent people. And they tell me, Warren, it says, you know, this, we would go in there, we would clean up the, as part of building this mine, we'd clean up tons of environmental mess from years prior that previous miners have done or continuing to pollute all the rivers. And the, the country will be better off environmentally by us going in there and mining these ounces and creating these jobs. So, uh, and of you know, so you see that and, and you realize that, you know, it's really tricky. And, you know, I was also uh, riding my motorcycle across Roma Romania. It was a country I was in. Um, you know, you just see what's going on environmentally and how the, uh, in my instance, I was riding off-road motorcycles cross-country. So I saw the environmental degradation of, um, of the uh, timber industry. And I happened to be riding with one of the people I was riding with was a Canadian logger who knew all the environmental standards that Canadian loggers have to deal with in British Columbia. And he was pointing out environmental infractions for four straight days. And just how, look at how brown this river is. Well, it's because they logged too close to the river's edge or they did this or we wouldn't be allowed to do this or we wouldn't be allowed to create a tracks up old riverbeds where they were actually using riverbeds as roadways. And all those things we, they weren't, we're not allowed to do in Canada, but they do it in Romania. So... It's sad to see that. It's sad to see, you know, some of this environmental mess in Romania won't get cleaned up because 
they, they can't build Ross Montana there uh, because of, you know, NGOs and uh, a whole bunch of other issues that are blocking the development of that mine. I think you had some questions about how Warren plays the different cycles. Yeah, or, or thinking about, you know, cash position. I think um, that's that's a problem a lot of retail investors have, either too invested or not invested enough at different parts of the mining cycle. And you're just wondering how much thought you might put into it, um, whether you have more cash or less cash, you know, a few years from now as, as, as it, the market builds up, um, especially knowing that discovery could happen at any time. Oh, yeah. So, so I'll just, why don't I just give you my own personal advice? Sure. And this is for advice for retail investors, right? Okay. So I've been trading from my own retail account for quite a number of years, right? For decades, right? So my general rule of thumb is whenever I feel really, really good and think I'm really, really smart, I sell stock and I buy real estate. And I remember that's when I bought my Briex house. When it was, Briex was, you know, I was building my Briex house. That's where I sold half my Briex stock at $280 a share. Um, the last cycle, uh, I built my last house at the end of the last cycle after I made a big win on, uh, I believe it was Gold Eagle, made a big win. And instead of reinvesting it in the market, I took it out and set it aside. I said, this is when I'm going to build my house. Well, sure enough, had I not done that, I would have lost 80 to 90% of my money invested in juniors as it came off for like five or six straight years down. So if the general rule of thumb, if I could give somebody something to think about, in my experience, whenever you feel good, you feel you're smart, you feel you know what you're doing, sell your stocks, or at least a good chunk of them, and put them into something very safe, either bank stocks, real estate. And whenever you feel that you're the dumbest idiot in the world and you can't believe you put all this stupid money into mining stocks, as in today is a good example. Like for instance, <laughs> if, if, uh, if my parents, my dad's 85, he comes to me and says, I've got some money to invest. I have no qualms putting him into some next gen, some Sol Gold and some other mining names like that. Like, uh, you know, Cantex might be a little speculative at this time for him, but you know, some of these, high value names like there's a number of copper producers that are trading quite inexpensively too right so um, when you feel dopey now that's a time to invest and when you feel really smart that's a time to take something off the table and that's worked well for me and it saved my butt quite a number of times so for retail guys think of think about that because that's uh, and you said in a previous interview with me that you've educated the investors in your fund when they had big wins to take that money off the table <laughs> to prepare yeah. for the bear market. No, no. Yeah. I said, whenever you guys, when I told my investors in, in my, my quarterly letter, I said a number of times, I said, whenever you think I'm really, really smart, that's when you take money off the table. And whenever you think I'm really, really stupid, that's when you give me money. <laughs> so they've been really good to take money off the table, but they never give me money when they think I'm stupid. But uh, sometimes they take away money when I'm stupid because, you know, it's tough. It's a tough cycle. For instance, it's a tough cycle to break. For instance, right now, I believe it is the most fantastic time in the, to invest in a mining fund. And uh, we're, gonna, we're floating some trial balloons to start a new mining fund because everything I see out there is super cheap. And on a risk-reward basis, stuff looks fantastic. All commodities, pretty much? Uh, well, gold's a little bit more expensive recently, but it's still reasonably cheap. Um, but if you look at, you know, copper, you look at, uh, there's some metallurgical coal deals I'm looking at, they're cheap, uh, uranium's cheap. 
I don't know of too many good nickel deals right now, but but in general, things are looking quite inexpensive. And if people have an investment horizon of, say, a decade or like we've been kind of in the downturn now for like five or six years or seven years, maybe. Well, it's not going to last another 10 years, hopefully. So if you have a 10 year horizon, picking up these little these stocks at these these levels, you're going to do very, very well uh, longer term. So uh, that, that's an example. But right now, if you looked at uh, I'm down this year in my fund. So one would think, well, Warren's dumb. I would never give him money because he's down this year. Well, um, the, I, all I know is I see all my mining stocks. Fundamentals are fantastic. They're finding more ounces, more ounces of uh, gold. They're finding more, more pounds of copper. They're finding more uranium. Everything's going very, very well. Yet the stock price just keep dropping. And for one example too here, we're looking at uh, let's say Sol Gold. Um, and I don't own Sol Gold. I own it through Cornerstone, which owns a minority stake in the project. Is um, you know, the property has a, an over 50-year mine, mine life on it. And why is the stock weak in the last little while? Well, in part because the price of copper has gone down. Well, the price of copper has gone down in the last six months. What's that got to do with the next 50 years as the world makes a transition into copper, into, into electrification? Of, can you imagine how much copper we're going to need as everybody has, a, has an electric car? Uh, not only the copper, extra copper used in the electric car, in the, in the motors, but also... To, to run all the electric cables so everybody has a you know a big charger in their garage well that's a lot of copper and if the whole world does it you know copper is going to do very well and and we're not finding a ton of copper right now so exciting times for copper yeah well i, I just have one more question um you know mainly about beaver creek you know where does this rank for you kind of on the circuit of conferences out there and you know do you have any examples of maybe some things that make beaver creek special yeah, Beaver Creek is uh, one of my favorites. Um, the other one I really, really like is the BMO Conference. It happens every year in uh, uh, just before, late February, just before the PDAC. So that's really good because BMO does a great job of, uh, of uh, getting rid of a lot of the, the trashy companies. And they, they're basically, the companies you go and see there, they're all real people, high quality companies. Whereas if you go sometimes to, let's say, the, the prospectors and developers, the PDAC, sometimes you'll see a lot of scammers there because there's, there's not that control. Um, here at uh, Beaver Creek, I quite like Beaver Creek. And uh, you, you catch the buzz of all the latest guys doing some of the latest work. And there's some interesting um, names uh, here of companies that are doing some great things. And, and uh, so at least it gets it on my radar screen. So when it does happen, if I hear of a good drill hole drilled by somebody, I'll say, oh yeah, I met the guy in Beaver Creek. I remember where he is. I know the property a little bit. So it gives me a bit of a head start. Whereas sometimes if you hear of a big discovery and you have not done the, a little bit of legwork or certainly met management and understood who they are and uh, where, they're, where they're from, what experience they have and where they live and, and stuff like that, it's, uh, it's a little bit slower to get up to speed on things. Like for instance, when Cantex hit, well, I've known Chuck Chuck Fifty for over twenty years, right? And I've already lost money with him, so I know him quite well. <laughs> right? So, but uh, fortunately, I've made back that money in some. Uh, yeah. Uh, anything you're shorting right now, Warren? You can no, sh no, nothing. Stuff to short at the bottom of the cycle. Uh, actually, there's one I just don't want to get into it. <laughs> I didn't think about one. I'm not short it, but I wouldn't touch it with a ten foot pole. It's just an overhyped overhyped name um flavor of the day uh 
and um, yeah, there's there's some there's a couple overhyped names. Just guys are promoting the the heck out of the name, and when you roll up your sleeves, and you know, in my case, I've been involved in that particular mining camp before, and I know what's going to work and what's not going to work, and I know that I'm pretty sure it's not going to work for them. Um, and then there's another one. Oh, jeez. Like the PEA is uh, fantasy PEA. Uh, um, yeah, it's, I think PEA should they should almost change the designation to FEA. Fantasy <laughs> economic assessment. Like this one PEA I've seen, my God, it is completely and totally ridiculous. And uh, for people who say that you know following BREX, you know the, the whole you know PEAs are really protecting investors, not a chance. This PEA. It's complete and total utter fantasy, and the mine will never be built. It'll never be mined, and uh, retail investors to this day will, uh, will will fight with me tooth and nail that this is going to be a tremendous project, and there's not a chance it'll ever get built. So, yeah. you, you've said in a previous uh, interview that you don't always back superstars that have you know been successful multiple times because maybe they get a little fat and the, the pleasures of riches maybe they don't have the motivation yeah but if someone's been successful a couple times they've been able to assemble maybe a better technical team a better financial team they have better financial backing than they did previously and whereas they may not be motivated of making their first or their few first millions um, but you can sense that maybe they're in it for ego you know and they want to build up their reputation um, for history's sake would you potentially back that person if you sense something just you know the ego drive maybe well, if it's not the money drive if you look at i look at it mathematically here okay let's say the odds of finding a deposit a good deposit might be what one in a thousand let's say with a good person a one would be one in a hundred let's say let's say one in a hundred that's being charitable well if the odds let's say of chuck fifty finding a caddy was one in a hundred if you backed them on the next deal That'd be one in a hundred times one in a hundred, which would be one in ten thousand are your odds of him doing back-to-back -back discoveries. Well, I was dumb enough. I backed him on the next one. I lost two million bucks. Right? You get my drift, right? So uh, there, the, the world in mining is littered with. Uh, you know, I don't want to name the names. <laughs> Some of them are my friends, but and uh, but the reason I could say Chuck's name here is Chuck's on to I think another massive discovery. But it's been decades since his last one. So what I'm saying, what I mean by that is to have a back-to-back -back good discoveries, it's so tough to do. It really is tough to do. And if you work at the odds out of one in a hundred, one in a hundred, or even one in a thousand, one in a thousand, if you multiply the two together, like, like if it's one in a thousand for the first, one in a thousand for the second, that's one in a million that you get two in a row, right? So the odds of having back-to-back -back discoveries are very, very tough. So what generally happens, is some, and Chuck is a good example, You'll make a discovery, and he's one of the most determined mind finders I know. But then you'll fail for a couple decades, and you'll you'll get you'll lose money in Nevada, you'll lose money in Yemen, you'll lose money in in northern Ontario, you lose you know boom 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 boom, and then eventually boom, it hits you 20 years later. And there's examples of that where uh, where I've learned my lesson. I've backed people who are just coming off a hot discovery, and. Uh, it's tough to make two back-to-back -back discoveries. It's tough to make one discovery. So I think what happens sometimes is, is after a big discovery, people are feeling really, really good, and really good especially about that guy who just found it. 
and they're willing, oh, I'll just throw money for sure back on him. I really like that feeling. He's gonna, he's a good guy. He's a hardworking guy. We made a ton of money with him. And then the next thing you know, he flops and you lose all that money. So if you've rolled all the profits from the first one and the second one, you get a zero. You know, so I, that's that's really what I'm getting at a little bit there. It's tough to find a mine, and uh, to find two back to back, the odds are very very low. Some of these um, groups form, and then they kind of control, let's say, three to eight different exploration companies, and they pool assets. The CFO, um, and they do it to lower GNA. What are your perspectives here? Do you think there's wisdom in this? Myself personally, I stay away from that generally because. Uh, you know, there there's some. There's one group who's very well known. You know, they've got maybe 20 or 30 companies, and they're stripping off fees off every single one. And there's a flavor day. Oh, lithium's the hottest name. Well, they'll create a lithium company. Uh, well, then uh, you know, cobalt's the name of the game. Well, let's create a cobalt company. Next thing you know, they've got flavor of the day lithium, flavor of the day cobalt. They load up with tons of pennies, penny paper, and they're punting it out through their offshore accounts or whatever else they're using. So you don't have to report and um, th this goes on next thing you know they've got a stable of 20 or 30 flavor of the day companies and then when lithium goes out of favor that collapses and investors lose all their money then when cobalt goes out of favor that one collapses and then when vanadium goes out of favor that one collapses and then when graphite goes out of favor that one collapses and you know then when uh, you know the um, I'm not saying heavy metals but uh, remember the the metals um, you know, all the, the metals out of China, the rare earths. The rare earths. That was a flavor of the day. Like, we're talking, you go into these some of these groups and they've got like, oh, they've got flavor of the day companies for the last decade, right? And guess what? You're, you, are, you are charging them fees uh, every year, melting down, that melting down that treasury. For instance, I'll give you an example. I remember after the BRIACs wiped out the entire mining industry, uh, I'd have idiots come up to me and say, Warren, Warren, you know, you got to invest in this company. They got a million dollars in cash and it's trading at $300,000 market cap. Look at the value there. You're paying for one third of the assets. I said, I said, what do you think a million dollars in the hands of a mining stock promoter is worth? <laughs> it is worth zero because when the mining cycle turns, that mining stock promoter will immediately cease all operations in the field. And uh, he'll sit there in his office for the next, as long as he could possibly sit in his office and drain that treasury because he knows he can't get a job in the mining sector because it's, it's out of favor. And he'll be milking that treasury every which way and he'll be given, you know, he's got a friend who's out of a job. Well, will kick him a $40,000 management contract. And next thing you know, that million dollars is gone. So never fall for that. As we conclude here, uh, the Q4, what advice would you like to leave to the resource investors listening to us? Uh, now is not the dumbest time to buy good quality mining assets. Uh, you know, a lot of them have been beat down pretty hard. And if you look a little bit deeper behind the share price, you'll notice the fundamentals have actually improved over the time. And if you have the patience to do the work and find these good quality names and hold them into the next cycle, you're going to do fine. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, Warren, thank you for your time today. And Nick, thank you also. Yeah, thank thanks, you, Warren. Nick. Thank you, Bill. Cheers.
Silver One Resources is an exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. The company is focused on its Candelaria Mine project in Nevada, where there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver. The Candelaria Mine historically was the highest grade silver producer in Nevada, generating over 68 million ounces of silver at an amazing average production rate of over 1,250 grams per ton. The project has tremendous expansion potential as past drilling has outlined deeper, high-grade silver targets for future drill programs. Silver One is highly leveraged to the price of silver and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value. Silver One trades in New York under the ticker SLVRF and in Toronto under the ticker SVE. To learn more, go to silverone.com. That's silverone.com. Thank you for listening to this Mining Stock Education podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded investors. Visit us on the web at miningstockeducation.com for more resources on precious metals and natural resource investing. At our website, you can also sign up for our free newsletter for interview transcripts, stock picks, and more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.